We return to our February 28th membership drive show on the influence of neo-Nazis in the post-coup Ukraine government with Lev Golinkin and our May 17th, 2021 interview. Now, I often get in, people often say, you know, you cover both sides, and they do, because the war crimes, and I, I will, the war crimes are also committed very much by the separatists and separatist leaders. They are certainly not excused from that. Yeah, I mean, I I think the intensity of it and the nature, uh, there's differences in the volume of it. I mean, because I I saw a number of concerns, and the same UN group actually indicated that there were um, atrocities committed by the separatists as well, but it just was not at the at the type of level. It wasn't the the protocol, so to speak, of the deal. You know. I'm, oh yeah, I mean, we're talking. Yeah, we're talking about. Uh, purposefully, like these battalions, would purposely block food in the middle of winter to civilian areas. Well, well, that's that's well, a war crime. And that's not my word. That's Amnesty International literally said that at the time. I wrote an article about it for the LA Times. And they said, this is a crime against humanity. And you are listening to Bringing Light into Darkness with Pedro Gatos. Monday's news and analysis. Been on the air for quite some time now. And I want to remind you that we're also in our pledge spring membership drive and I, I understand you got some people to thank yeah we do we have les wordy gerard kathy kenneth gary and doug all who say that they are really thankful for your show pedro that you offer a deeper dive that we're not able to hear from mainstream media so keep it up and thank you now, and I would just like to add, so grateful to these people that call in and express the interest in the information that we make available. There's no station that would allow the type of program that Bringing Light and Darkness is to, to, to bring that information. And we're very proud of it. Our prerequisite is, is honesty and accuracy. And if there's ever anything that is misrepresented, it needs to be corrected. So as a listener, we encourage those feedbacks and try to get transcripts of shows so if people have questions, they can take a deeper dive by really studying the, the content of the show. Pedro, what do we have up next? Well, we transition. So, so the coup was in February of 2014. There was a horrific killing. Amanda, you won't believe this next clip. It was in Odessa. It's a southern part of Ukraine. And these people were protesting the removal of their president. This part of the country, the, the eastern part of Ukraine, had voted over 80% in favor of this guy Yanukovych. Who was then removed by our U.S.-enabled coup. Well, they got violently repressed into a trade union building, and they burned that trade union deal down to the ground. There was close to four dozen people burned alive. I mean, never sees any coverage here in the United States. Anyhow, let's go ahead and turn to it. We return to our interview on May 17th, 2021 with Leo Galinkin. He turns his attention to the horrific episode at Odessa on May 2nd, 2014. And the other you one, know, uh, was it the labor building in Odessa where all those trade unions, uh, people took refuge and it was set afire? And yeah, that's a, I can explain that real quick. So... Donetsk and Luhansk, as I said, were only a part of eastern Ukraine. They're the ones that rose up. Mm-hmm. But the rest of eastern, southern and eastern Ukraine, the Russian-speaking regions, remained part of Ukraine and remain part of Ukraine to this day. And the reason why they remain part of Ukraine is because of what happened in Odessa on May 2nd, 2014, which is when people in Odessa tried to speak up and tried to say, yeah, and tried to say you know, we're against this, this new government. 
they burned almost, I think it was 48 of them alive. They chased them into a trading building, and then they set on fire and watched them burn. Ever since then, Odessa was pretty quiet because the message was gotten pretty clearly. And the rest of the world didn't care. The U.S. Yeah. ambassador barely mentioned it. I think he referred to it as an incident. People be, being burned alive, and, and right. yeah, you consider it an incident. Let me also add that... When I was following that, I remember reports where some of these people were trying to escape the burning building and they were shot. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't them. even get into that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so this was just... They were, yeah, they were made... Horrific. The message was extraordinarily clear as to what would happen. Right. right. And to this day, they don't even allow people in the desert to mourn them. Neo-Nazis take, take control on May 2nd, and they make sure that people can, can't even do things like... If they leave flowers, within an hour, they're cleared out. People can't even honor their deaths. Let me ask you to reiterate the, uh, the geographical location of Odessa again, please. Uh, Ukraine is basically, uh, the, when I say eastern Ukrainians, the Russian-speaking regions, it's the eastern part of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. That's where Donetsk, Luhansk, that's where also my city, Kharkiv, yes. uh, which is the second biggest city in Ukraine, is. Mm-hmm. And Odessa is along the south. So if you can imagine a a country where the eastern and the southern parts converge speak yeah they have their own they follow their own church right they have their own language and they also have economies that are very intimately tied with Russia Odessa is a seaport in the south of uh, Ukraine and and particularly just, I mean, this was a horrible thing that happened with the burning people alive and then shooting anybody who tried to escape. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it happened in Odessa was particularly heartbreaking because this is a city that was, you know, the way I described it in an article, I mean, it's, it's a city that invented hipsters before hipsters. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just a very, it's just a very beautiful, diverse alive city, a city that a city whose Jews were slaughtered during uh, the Holocaust, a city with just this incredibly vibrant culture where so many uh, so many of the Jews, particularly from there, escaped to America. They wound up doing all sorts of things from running their own mafias to uh, working in Hollywood. And it's just it's just this incredible just it's it made it even worse. Just this literary bubbling hipster city and seeing it happen there, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it sent a message to people in Kharkiv, to people in my city, to any other city outside of Donetsk and Luhansk. This is what's going to happen if you stand up against this new government. Got it. And the message was heard clearly. Your historical understanding of this part of the world is incredibly important. And I think the more we understand people and histories, and the more we understand what's really important. And this whole scourge of Nazism and all this type of stuff, I remember... In 2018, and everybody can relate to this, but this is what happens when you have a foreign policy that results in bringing this type of government to power, but denies it, censors all of this information that you have been just eloquently unrolling for us in the last uh, 20 minutes or more. But uh, there was an indictment of several California men back in 2018, towards the end of that year, in the Charlottesville violence. And according to this indictment of several California men that were involved in this Charlottesville violence that we are also aware of, Ukraine's neo-Nazi Azov Battalion was believed to have participated in training and radicalizing a U.S.-based white supremacist. And it's long been known that this battalion and other militias, there's a number of other battalion militias, have attracted volunteers with neo-Nazi sympathies around the world. 
And four members of this Rise Above movement, this RAM mm-hmm. movement, described by the FBI as a white supremacy extremist group, were indicted for conspiracy to riot over the, the August 2017 violence in Charlottesville that we were alluding to in Virginia. And among other things, there's an affidavit. So this is not hearsay. It's a, it's, it's a, this is the FBI. That's okay? right. This is the FBI saying this. That's very important to remember. Yeah, this is a special agent with Scott Beerwith. You're exactly right. The FBI special agent, Scott Beerwith, B-I-E-R-W-I-R-T-H, 28-year-old Robert Rundo, is said to have traveled to Germany, Italy, and Ukraine in the spring of 2018. So, I mean, to me, the hypocrisy of claiming the high ground when it comes to neo-Nazis in Charlottesville, yet we have a foreign policy that not just harbored, but nurtured and protected, as we indicated earlier with, with the legislation that Conyers had put forth that got submarined and basically below the radar, they continue to get empowered at although they may not be in as great position of power as they were just immediately post-coup. Can you speak a little bit about the Charlottesville connection there a little bit and white supremacy here in the United States and the connection to the Ukraine and, and, and not just the Ukraine, but this whole resurgence of neo-Nazism that you write about so eloquently in your, in your piece in The Nation? Yeah, the main, and I'll, I'll just leave out the various, I'll just, let's just focus on the main group, the Azov group, okay? Okay. This began as a battalion, it's a white supremacist battalion. They employ neo-Nazi symbols that are just na- internationally recognized as such. One of the symbols they, they employ is called a wolf's hook, a wolf's angle symbol. It was used, mm. it was found that the, the shooter in Christchurch, New Zealand, had that symbol, that symbol is also present in Charlottesville. So we're talking about, it's rather clear who these people are. Mm-hmm. They are very serious. And not just serious, but they're, the thing is they're extraordinarily organized. Because they had this battalion. It grew. It grew by now. It's a regiment. Okay? Regiment. And this Azov movement then began to grow various subgroups. It grew a civil corps. It grew a, a street brown shirt unit. Okay, uh, called the Nationalne Drużyna, the national the National Guard element of it. Okay, all subservient to this organization. And the most scary thing is that they began reaching out to white supremacists around the world. Okay, mm-hmm. this group is thinking rather globally. Its founder basically said long before this is like years before the the uprising. Its founder has written that his vision is that Ukraine would lead the white races of the world against the Jewish, the Semite-led Untermensch, okay, mm-hmm. in a global crusade for the... This is everything that... This is like white genocide stuff. This is everything that today's neo-Nazis we hear about, okay? Right. So the vision, the idea is to turn Ukraine into an international hub of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Not just just with the battalion, but also with politics, with having conferences, with um, having concerts, having neo-Nazi concerts, having neo-Nazi martial arts tournaments, having things like that. So, and they have grown spectacularly and extraordinarily dangerous fashion because you will see fighters from all all over the world go and fight and get battle battleground experience, real experience in Ukraine. John Conyers was phenomenal in trying to curtail the weapons going here. 
the thing is, there's been several articles, including by the Daily Beast. There's been other articles that basically say that we have no idea who the hell we're training in Ukraine. Because we're not just providing them with weapons. We're providing them with military training and expertise. And that basically just gets funneled into the Ukrainian army. And from there, we have no idea, and the National Guard. So we have no idea who it is that we're training. And what happened with the FBI arrest of the white supremacists that rise against movement is a perfect case of blowback. The term about what happens when we uh, send things out abroad and ignore it, and then it comes back home. So here we are. We facilitated this coup that brought these would-be battalions to power. We suppressed any reporting on this. I remember, for example, the great, the late, great Stephen Cohen of the nation would, try, would write about this uh, a lot, and he was vilified for it. So we suppressed all of this. It wound up growing and growing and growing, and then it wound up starting to recruit white supremacists from across the world, including in America. So this is we raised, we nurtured this white supremacist movement that in turn then started coming back to us, started boomeranging back. Mm-hmm. There, was a, there was a man who killed, accused of killing two people in Florida who trained and who fought with the Ukrainian, with the Ukrainian far right. There is the Sufen Center, which is a phenomenal group that was founded by the man who tried to prevent 9-11, the federal agent who tried to prevent 9-11, Ali Sufan. And they have done an incredible report just outlining how the Azov movement is transforming Ukraine into a hub for transnational white supremacy. We have people from just all over the world. And again, it doesn't need to be a lot because a few of these well-trained people can do a whole lot of damage if they come back to their home. KOP.org also has that Donate Now button, does it not, Amanda? Yes, it does. And, and we somebody's have... been using it. Yes, yeah, we do have someone who's used it. And we've also got folks who've used our phone, 512-472-5667. Um, we'd like to thank Rodney, Kent, and Gary. Gary says... They are a longtime listener of Bringing Light into Darkness, and they would be so happy if, Pedro, you would sign an autograph on the T-shirt that he will be, will be getting. And he's, he wants to frame it, he says, so keep up the good work. Sweet. Well, keep the calls coming, and thank you all so much for supporting Co-op Radio. And we're especially proud of the support for this show because it carries some of the water for the other shows that maybe don't get as many calls. Yeah. A voice of the community, uh, the three of us work together to outreach into our community and listen to what they need and what mm-hmm. they want. That's part of what we do on the community council. So our thanks uh, to all our supporters because you're supporting all of us in our efforts here. Pedro, we got one more segment to so our, our guest, Lev Golinkin, he's from the Ukraine. He came in 1990 with his family, Russian, fluent Russian speaker, speaks eloquently about the horrific history in Western Ukraine and the Nazi traditions back going back to World War II. We return to our final segment with Leo Golinkin from our May 17, 2021 interview. He turns our attention to the history of the Banderas Nazis of Ukraine in World War II in Western Ukraine. I did want to indicate that the other things in your article, and you've been speaking to them as well, and I want to again remind people that we're talking to the author of this article, Secretary Blinken Faces a Big Test in Ukraine Where Nazis and Their Sympathizers Are Glorified. I wanted to ask you in in a few minutes that we have left to connect some of that history of particularly in the Ukraine and the 1.5 million Ukrainians that were slaughtered by Germans and collaborators back in the day, 
But also, in your article, you indicated that the reality is that the glorification of Nazi collaborators and the Holocaust perpetuators is not a glitch, but a feature of today's Ukraine. And then you also indicate that it brought in the maiden uprising that is a new government that began whitewashing these collaborators on a statewide level. And then finally, you also mentioned, and this is maybe, can you can tie this back to that history I asked you to flush out for us a little bit, but that every January 1st, Kiev hosts a torchlit march in which thousands honor this Nazi collaborator, Stepan Bandero, who headed mm-hmm. an, an, an OUN faction. Can you talk a little bit about the Bandera and the World War II era Nazi impact on Ukraine? Yes, and this directly ties to white supremacy, by the way, because wherever you see organizations that are honoring Nazis and Nazi collaborators, you will also find organized young men who are neo-Nazis. So again, just like the white supremacists in Charlottesville congregated around the statue of Robert E. Lee, you will see that statues and movements that honor Nazi collaborators. Also, wherever you see it, that is the canary in the coal mine. That is where you see organized white supremacy. Interesting. Okay? Mm-hmm. These people, I mean, they see this, them continuing a fight. They, these people see a very long game. These people see themselves as continuing a fight from a very, very long time, a battle that has not ended. But here's what happened in Ukraine during World War II. The overwhelming majority of Ukrainians suffered tremendously and fought against Hitler. Okay? In the very western part of Ukraine, they formed organizations, and this is where the super ultra-nationalists come from today. They allied with Hitler. They welcomed the Nazis with open arms. They started slaughtering Jews in some places before the Nazis even got to go there. But by the time the Nazi death squads arrived, the Jews were already, they did the job for them. The Jews were already slaughtered, okay? These were extraordinarily fascist, anti-Semitic, savage groups. And the main one of it was called the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists. That's an OUN group, is that right? Yep, yep, that's the OUN group. Okay. And uh, Stepan Bandera was the leader of one of the factions of it. They wound up, first of all, they allied themselves with the Nazis. They formed entire battalions that were part of the Third Reich, that were literally in the system of the German military wing of Nazi Germany. They perpetuated the Holocaust directly. They slaughtered Jews uh, as part of the Nazis, as part of the auxiliary police that, that guarded the ghettos and that, and that murdered uh, the Jews. And we're talking about 1.5 million Jews. We're talking about one out of every four Jews killed in the Holocaust was killed in Ukraine. Often they were not even sent to concentration camps. They were just taken out and gunned down, like, at point blank. And they murdered not just Jews, of course, the, the OUN. They murdered ethnic Ukrainians who they believed were against them, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, and sir. they murdered 70,000 to 100,000 Poles in the most savage. I mean, if you look at the pictures of what they did to Poland, I mean, they didn't even use bullets. Mm-hmm. There was just hand, you know, hand-to-hand work. And this was just against villagers. I mean, they, they did things that Hannibal Lecter would consider, you know, a little too much. And I'm not, and I'm not being flippant. I mean, it is just extraordinary what they did to the Poles there. And now they're official heroes of Ukraine. Now they have songs written to them, they have marches to them, and the the week before Secretary Blinken visited Ukraine, they had people in the middle of Kiev celebrating a Ukrainian SS unit, a unit in the Waffen-SS. Mm-hmm. The military arm of the, the Nazi party responsible for the Holocaust. It got to the point where even Germany 
and Israel denounced it. Right. Well, we're out of time, but I do want to mention that Zelensky, the president, he's a Jewish president, but you know, you write that he's been appeasing and ignoring and, and kind of engaging in this whitewashing as well. I, I cannot imagine the horror and the terror that must be in the hearts and souls of so many people in the Ukraine. It's easy to say people should be against something, but boy, I, I, I bet if you're too vocal. Uh, oh, yeah. You're, it's, you're, you're, no, it's, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the lesson that we talked about in Odessa on May 2nd when they burned people alive, that lesson was learned very quickly. Mm-hmm. And people say Ukraine has a Jewish president, and the easiest way to answer that is America had eight years of a black president. <laughs> Did that wind up solving racism? Right, right. Okay? I think it's a good So analogy. people who say Ukraine cannot be anti-Semitic because it has a Jewish president, you just say, yeah, just like America couldn't be racist because it had a black president. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, I want to send a special big thank you to James, who just pledged to bringing light into darkness. He really listens to Pedro a lot and appreciates his guest and wants to say thank you. So passing it over to you, Pedro. Yeah, well, thank you, James. And thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Greg, for being part of the team in the in the studio today. We want to remind you that this membership drive, this is where we get, what, 90% or more of our funding. That's so, correct. So um, we have a couple of them each year and really appreciate that. There's just these uh, horrific things going on in the world. There's just promotions of war and those types of things. And I'll just leave our audience with the fact that, you know, we try to sort out what's going on in the Ukraine and and Russia's motivations and such. But nobody seems to really appreciate that all countries have national security issues. And so um, I'll just leave you with that. And hang on for and Stephanie. And hang on for Stephanie at the yeah. disco. The lights are already on here. So yeah, that's it. Thanks so much, Amanda. Great to have you in studio with us. And Pedro, always a pleasure. Switch over to koop.org right now so you don't miss a moment of Emo Diaries. See you next week.